Would you join me in Matthew chapter 2? Matthew chapter 2 as we read part of the Christmas story according to Matthew, and particularly the story of the visit of the Magi. We've been looking at Christmas in the shadow of Herod, and I want to look at one more part to that, and that is how did the Magi experience Christmas under the shadow of Herod? We noted that, that, Sher- that Herod was sort of the elephant in the room in Judea, a menacing, dominating presence that, that did cast a shadow, especially when one is born who was going to be the newborn king of the Jews. What did it mean to, to go through that with, with Herod's dominating presence? And especially, given some Old Testament prophecies that, that talked about kind of a conflict between the son of, of Esau, Herod, and the son of Jacob, Jesus. And now the Magi come into the scene, and they're, they're really not part of that scene, right? They're, they're, they weren't even in the room for the elephant in the room. They were coming from the east. And so where did, how did they fit in with that? How, how did they experience Herod? Actually, they were bold enough to be able to go right to his palace. But how does Herod make an impact on them and they on Herod? Well, that's what we're going to look at for a few moments this morning as we continue our look at uh, Christmas in the shadow of Herod. Matthew 2, the first 12 verses. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ, or Messiah, was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Conclude our reading there. You want to keep your Bibles open as we're going to reference one passage that we're going to look at in particular. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father God, as you sent your Son, as we experience that this Christmas time and now into a new year, we pray that not only would we enjoy these Christmas stories and all that, that has happened, but that we might understand that they are for us and that they impact us and help us to see what it means that you bring light to us in a dark world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Luke began his Christmas story, in those days, Caesar Augustus. But Matthew narrows the focus from the Roman Empire to 
During the time of King Herod, that is, he narrows our focus to the land of Israel, and particularly to Judea. And over these last weeks, we've noted that really all the characters of the Christmas story fell under Herod's long shadow. And that includes the Magi. But why the Magi? Why did God include them as part of Jesus' greeting party? Why does Matthew include their story rather than the story of the angels and shepherds, which would have seemed much more suitable for his largely Jewish audience? Well, over the years, I've looked at a number of scholars and commentators on this, and I found like some 30-plus different ideas about why the Magi, but I want to just mention five of them this morning. There's some interesting answers. Some are very practical, others more spiritual and theological. But why the Magi? Why bring these Gentiles into the story of Jesus' birth? Well, the first is, quite practical, to bring Herod's attention to the birth of Jesus, to bring the the Jewish leader's attention to the birth of Jesus. Remember, this is anywhere from six years to two months later. They've not heard of anything about this baby that was born in Bethlehem. But now their attention is brought to it. Another is, because God could have done this with any group of people. He could have sent angels over there. He could have sent the shepherds to, the, to Herod. But God uses Gentiles, and that leads to a second thought, and that is that maybe they're in this, this scene, maybe they're in the story to remind us of God's inclusion of Gentiles in his kingdom. And I think there's a definite legitimacy for that because throughout the gospel, Matthew every so often brings Gentiles in and sees their role and and how Jesus is accepting of them. A third one that's probably a little far-fetched and maybe allegorical, but it's kind of interesting. At least one commentator suggested this story is to show how general revelation, that is, how God reveals himself in creation, how general revelation, this time in the form of the star, can bring us only so far to God, and then we need special revelation, the Bible, in the form of that prophecy in Micah 5, verse 2, to bring us the rest of the way. Well, it's it's true, but it may not be the point of the story. The last couple, I think, are ones that we have to take seriously. One is that the Magi sort of serve as a foil to the others in the story. After all, they come, these, these pagan Gentiles, they come and worship the Christ child, while Herod wants to murder him, and the Jewish leaders, the the priests in the temple, are amazingly apathetic for having just heard that their Messiah might have arrived. And then one other is is kind of something that, that scholars have noted for a long time, and that is that the Gospel of Matthew seems to use Moses as a parallel to Jesus, as kind of the Old Testament type of Jesus. Particularly, I think, to point out that, that even as Moses was the, the mediator of the Old Covenant and Moses was the one who, who brought them out, God brought them out through Moses out of, the, out of the land of Egypt in the Exodus, that great Old Testament redemption story, now that points ahead to a new, the New Testament redemption story that happens in Jesus. 
And so there are lots of different things throughout the Gospel of Matthew that you can note parallels between the two. How might the Magi fit in? Well, some suggest that maybe they're parallel to, the, to Pharaoh's Magi, Pharaoh's sorcerers that tried to emulate the different, uh, the different tricks and, and plagues that Moses was bringing to Egypt. Now, most all these ideas and many others are plausible, some more likely than others. But is there more going on here? Often you can see Matthew's penchant to use Old Testament prophecy and allusion to Old Testament events and characters as he writes to his Jewish audience. Is he doing this with the Magi as well? After all, in the, just a birth narrative in Matthew 1, verse, from Matthew 1, verse 18 through the end of Matthew 2, Matthew, no less than five times, says this happened to fulfill the prophecy of so-and-so. Five times. One of them is in this passage we'll look at in a moment. So is Matthew doing that in other ways as well? I think he is. And I want to propose that Matthew is using this story to present three ways in which Jesus is king. Because that's the punchline, right? Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Well, the first way that he notes of Jesus being king is that he is, he is the star king who is, is actually going to reign over Edom. Magi from the east who saw a star which they identified with the king of the Jews. Would that ring any Jewish bells? Would that ring Herod's bell? Well, we know Herod's bell was rung. So why? Well, back in Numbers 22 through 24, there's a story of the Moabite king Balak. And he's fearful of the Israelites because they're making their way to the land of Canaan. And as they're doing so, God is allowing them to defeat nations left and right. And Moab's next on the menu. So Balak is scared. So he hires a man named Balaam to put a curse on Israel. But you may recall the story of, of Balaam and his donkey and all of that. But the upshot was, every time Balaam goes to make a curse on Israel, God allows only blessing to come from his mouth. He does this in the form of oracles. Now, if you look at the story carefully, the identification of Balaam is he is a magus, plural magi, from the east, a sorcerer. And then in his fourth oracle, he says this, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of all the sons of Sheth. Edom will be conquered. Seir's enemy will be conquered. But Israel will grow strong. A ruler will come out of Jacob and destroy the survivors of the city. Now you need to know that the Jews to this day still take that star prophecy to talk about coming Messiah. And when Messiah comes, among others, Edom will be conquered. We looked at it over the last couple of weeks. Herod was an Edomite, a descendant of Esau, probably the greatest 
And Edom's going to be conquered when this Messiah comes. So God, through Matthew, is asking his readers to believe that this prophecy of Balaam is now fulfilled in this child. He's saying that to all those under the shadow of Herod the Edomite, that his evil will not stand, that this child will be the new king. This Christmas, in a world which especially this year feels like Satan and his evil kingdom is in control, we're asked if we really believe our God reigns. Do you believe God reigns in your corner of the world, at your job, in your neighborhood, in your school, in your community? When evil rears its ugly head or chaos as we've seen this past year, can we believe that God through Jesus reigns? But the second way he's presented, I think, is as a shepherd king for Israel. It always strikes me that Herod and the Jews are troubled by the Magi's words. Now, why wouldn't they when the Magi call him King of the Jews, that was Herod's title. But notice that Herod, after having heard that, immediately thinks Messiah. You've got to give Herod a little credit here. Herod tried to fake his way as a Jew. His ancestors had been, had been uh, forcibly converted to Judaism, so he had that claim. But he knew enough that there were some prophecies of Messiah out there. And, and when he hears about this newborn king of the Jews, he immediately thinks Messiah. And so he asks the religious scholars about the prophecy of Messiah's birth. And they go to Micah chapter 5. Now, if you have your Bibles open, stay in Matthew 2. Don't go to Micah 5. Stay in Matthew 2 because I'm going to read Micah 5 and I want you to notice what Matthew does with that quotation. Matthew, or Micah 5, verse 2 through 5. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth and he will be our peace. Now the context of Micah 5 is the destruction of Jerusalem and the being carted off into Babylon And Micah is giving a vision of the future redemption when they're going to be brought back. Future redemption of Israel. And he says this is going to happen through a deliverer who is born in Bethlehem. This deliverer would be a ruler who would shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and bring shalom, bring peace. But did you notice that Matthew changed the quote? Did you notice that? And don't let that bother you because Jesus does it too in different ways because it was very allowable to take an Old Testament quote and and tailor it to the times to make your point. And not just that, to add other quotes to it as Matthew does as well. But notice 
that uh, Micah sa- or Matthew says, but you, Bethlehem, and then he drops Ephrathah, maybe it wasn't a title that they use much anymore, and says instead, in the land of Judah, you, Bethlehem, are by no means least. What does Micah say? You're small. Matthew says, no, from what's happening here in these days, you are now no, by no means least. And not just among the clans of Judah, among the rulers of Judah. So he says, this is going to put you on the map, Bethlehem. If King David didn't, being born there didn't put you on the map, this is going to put you on the map. And then he goes on, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And that's different. He talks about shepherds a little later on in Micah 5 verse 2, but that's a little different. We'll come back to that. First, then he gives Bethlehem a more prominent place. You are by no means least among the rulers. And this was very allowable in the way that they, they did their writing in those days. He says, now a new, a new uh, spirit, a new, a new importance comes to Bethlehem. But then he actually does what, what scholars call a conflation. He conflates two scripture passages. I'm still waiting for the Bible to come out that will footnote not only Micah 5 verse 2, but 2 Samuel 5, verse 2, because that's what Micah or Matthew is picking up. He's changing Micah's words to the words from Matthew or from 2 Samuel 5, verse 2, a ruler who will shepherd my people, who will shepherd my people Israel. Where does that, what is that background? That's the time when Samuel comes and, and the tribes come and anoint David as king in anticipation of his replacing Saul on the throne. Saul's still king, but secretly they're anointing David as king. So the context is a change of rulers from the disappointing and evil king Saul to the promising king David. So Matthew is clearly pointing to Jesus as the fulfillment of many prophecies. He's the one from David's family who will reign on the throne eternally who will lead them like a shepherd, who will bring about true shalom or peace. But notice, he sets it with the context of the change, changeover in rulership. It's king-changing time. Matthew is, in essence, using that prophecy to say, it's king-changing time. This time it's not going to be Saul replaced by David. It's going to be Herod replaced by the newborn king of the Jews. Did Herod sense this? Is this why he might be troubled? Is this why the chief priests who are cozy with Herod are troubled? And does the celebration of Christmas ever trouble us? I know that seems funny. We've been waiting for Christmas in this long, long year. We've been waiting to celebrate, have this joy again. But does the celebration of Christmas ever trouble us? Think about it. If Jesus really is the shepherd king then it's king-changing time for all. Christmas asks the question, are we ready to give up our thrones to Jesus? Are we ready to get off the throne and say, Jesus, you take the throne of my life. You rule my life in 2021. Are we ready to abdicate and hand the keys over to Jesus daily and totally? A third way that 
Matthew presents Jesus as, as a Shekinah king for the world, for the whole world. I kind of wonder what the Magi thought. They came to the Herodian palace to find the newborn prince. Where else would he be born? Only to find out he was from a different family. And then they were asked to report back to Herod so Herod could, could bow down to, to him. And that sounded fishy. What king bows down to another king? Especially from another family. Then they arrived at the house. Notice they're no longer in the stable cave. They shared their gifts and they bowed before this infant. So what's going on? Well, Isaiah, in a prophecy addressing Jerusalem as it awaits its deliverer, says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations, that's literally Gentiles in the Hebrew, Gentiles will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn, and all will come from Sheba, bearing what? Gold and incense, and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. In Psalm 72, we get a similar prophecy. The kings of Tarshish and of distant shores will bring tribute to him. The kings of Sheba and Seba will present him gifts. All kings will bow down to him. And all nations, all Gentiles, will serve him. These prophecies, and I hope you can hear the overtones, they seem to prefigure the Magi who actually probably were from the area of Sheba because they grew, that's where they produced frankincense and myrrh that was traded with, with the other nations. These prophecies may also be where we get that song we sang, We Three Kings. They weren't kings. Now, it's possible they represented kings of their country when they came. That's possible. But they're not kings themselves. It probably came from These prophecies that talk about kings presenting gifts, kings bowing down to this, this newborn king. So, up to this point, we've talked a lot about Jesus as the, the hope and king of Israel. But now, the Gentiles, the nations are bowing down and bringing him these very specific gifts and fulfillment of prophecy Matthew seems to be saying that this child is also the hope and king of the world. He's the hope and king of Israel, but he's also the hope and king of the world. And that's good news for us, us Gentiles. But of course, the context of Isaiah's prophecy must have also stirred Matthew's audience. Because it talks about Shekinah glory, and they often talked about God's Shekinah glory. It was a glory that filled the tabernacle and then the temple. It was a glory that came down on Mount Sinai, showed up in the pillar of fire. It always pictured the presence of God. The presence of God, because that's what it means. Shekinah actually comes from the word for tabernacle, which means to dwell. His, the indwelling glory of God among his people. But it had been a long time since they saw that. Over 400 years since God had spoke or appeared and And all you have to do is read in the first century, the rabbis admitted God's covenant had not been in the Holy of Holies and his Shekinah glory had not appeared in hundreds of years. They're very upfront about that. They had been under a cover of darkness 
with no sign of God's presence, no sign of God's Shekinah. And now comes to fulfillment this prophecy which says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord, the Shekinah glory of the Lord, rises upon you. It's back. God is back in a special way. Matthew says, He, this child, is God's Shekinah in the form of a little baby in Bethlehem. And as he said earlier in chapter 1, he is Emmanuel, who is God with us. In a world in which we sometimes feel alone, and I'm guessing that this year more than any other has been a time that we felt alone as we've self-isolated or been isolated, we're asked to believe that God is truly with us. Is that, do we feel that? Did we feel that in this past year? Is every day of our lives filled with His intimate presence? Rather than a pessimistic view on life, and I can't blame anyone for having a pessimistic view on life in 2020, rather than a pessimistic view on life, can we see it filled, life filled with the Shekinah glory of God? In the shadow of Herod, pagan magi worshipped while chief priests were troubled, which will be true of us this Christmas and into this new year. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for coming, for bringing your light, the presence of the Lord among us. We pray that we might increasingly feel your presence in this coming new year. That you might redeem us not only from sin, but that you might redeem this year that has been so hard. And that you may have great things in store for the coming year. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond by singing a song about the Magi. As with gladness, men of old, as with gladness, men of old, we'll stand and sing the three stanzas.